congregation, our scripture reading this afternoon we find in Psalm 103. We've just had the privilege of singing a rhymed version of that psalm. We now read that psalm from God's word. This is a psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children, children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his host, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Our confessional reading this afternoon is, comes from Lord's Day 23. And this Lord's Day 23 comes immediately after the Heidelberg Catechism has treated each of the articles of the Apostles' Creed. And we want to focus this afternoon particularly on question and answer 59 and the question that it asks, but we'll read the entire Lord's Day. But how does it help you now that you believe all this? That I'm righteous in Christ before God and an heir to life everlasting. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ, even though my conscience
Why do you say that through faith alone you are righteous? Not because I please God by the worthiness of my faith. For only Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness are my righteousness before God. And I can receive this righteousness and make it mine in no other way than by faith alone. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, if you still have your catechism open there, you'll notice if you look back at the previous Lord's Day, Lord's Day 22, that there's a word that's used in both question 57 and 58. It's the word comfort. And the word comfort in asking the questions in relation to the articles of the Apostles' Creed is used somewhat more often in the Catechism, but when we look at Lord's Day 23 and question 59, there's something unique about this question here in the Heidelberg Catechism, and perhaps you can guess what it is. It's this, that here alone in the Catechism, as far as I can see, the word help is used in asking one of the questions. How does it help you now that you believe all this? And when we think about what we're used to hearing in the Catechism, we might have expected what benefit or what comfort do we receive, but here the word is, what help do you receive? Help, we understand, has a bit more of a practical sense to it than, say, the word comfort. Comfort, you might say, is something that you, you feel, something that you sense. Help, though, is something that is considered to be of more practical benefit to you. So that's exactly what question 59 is asking. We confess and believe the truths of Scripture as they summarize in the Apostles' Creed. The Catechism has just finished dealing with those. That's a confession about God the Father and His work, God the Son and His work, God the Holy Spirit and His work. And we then come to question 59 and we ask, how does confessing all that, how does indeed believing all that, embracing it all in faith, how does that actually practically help in all the ups and downs of life? To illustrate, what does it help you to believe and confess the truths of the Apostles' Creed when, say, your car needs expensive and unexpected repairs? Or what does it help you now that you believe all that you confess in the Apostles' Creed when you or a loved one becomes unexpectedly seriously ill? Or, what does it help you that you believe all that you confess in the Apostles' Creed about Father, Son, and Spirit when you're struggling, say, in your relationship with your spouse or with one of your children? And you would think, wouldn't you, that each of those three scenarios that I posed just now by way of example might need three different types of answers. For the first scenario, it helps in this way, for the second this way, for the third this way. And then for whatever scenario you might be facing, some other way. 
But we notice question 59 asks a single question, and the answer gives only one answer, not a smorgasbord of answers that you can choose from, one that suits your particular situation the best. It gives just one answer. The answer to each of the scenarios we pose there by way of example and any others that you might be confronting right now in your life, each one can be answered in this way that I'm righteous in Christ before God and an heir to life everlasting. That's an answer for the present. It's an answer for the future. My confession helps me very practically in that in whatever situation I find myself in, I know this, I'm right before God. I'm right before God and an heir to life everlasting. I'll bring you God's word this afternoon using this thing. I'm righteous before God by faith only. This afternoon we'll consider that in all of life's circumstances, I must by faith in the first place confess the ugly reality of my sin. Second, embrace the amazing extent of God's grace. And thirdly, accept this incredible gift with a believing heart. And that you might notice follows roughly the structure of answer 60 from this Lord's Day. So in the first place, in all of life's circumstances, I by faith confess the ugly reality of my sin. Congregation, we read Psalm 103. But we need to begin by going back one psalm to Psalm 102. If you have your Bibles handy, you might want to look at it with me. And these two psalms, 102-103 are like two ends of a spectrum. Psalm 102 is the prayer of a very afflicted or very troubled saint of God. While Psalm 103, at the other end of the spectrum, you might say, is a song of praise from a very thankful saint. And that spectrum, we recognize, is often reality in the ups and downs of a Christian life. In Psalm 102, the psalmist talks about being in distress. It's verse 2. He talks in verse 3 about calling out desperately to the Lord because verse 3, he writes there, my bones, end of the verse, burn like a furnace. He talks about his heart being struck down like grass and withered. It's verse 4. And it's so bad, look at verse 5, he forgets to eat his lunch. Actually, that's verse 4. I forget to eat my bread. And then verse 5, because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. You might say he's been reduced because of his stress, because of his agony, what he's going through. He's been reduced to skin and bones. Now, we might not be gifted to come up with such graphic and poetic language to describe our circumstances. But our particular circumstances are very real to us. And so all-encompassing can be our situation, so overwhelmed by our circumstances can we be that we don't even think to think about our sins anymore. As in, our situations, whatever they may be, take up all that we have, so much so that we reflect very little on our sins. And you might be sitting there hearing this and saying, really? When we're going through something really difficult and that something is consuming all of our mental energy, all of our prayer life as well, all of our faith's focus, all of our emotional stores, do we still really need to talk about sin in that situation? Isn't there a time and a place for everything? And is it really the time and the place to talk about sin when the challenges of life are really pressing in on you? 
do we really need to talk about sin in the context, say, of a car accident? Do we really need to talk about sin when you're in a hospital ward? Do we really need to talk and think about sin when dealing with something as mammoth as depression or an addiction? Isn't it about as much as my faith can handle just to deal with my situation? The answer, beloved, is, and I say this with sensitivity, the answer is yes. Because if we're going to receive the help that comes from believing all that God has revealed in his word, if our faith is really going to be of practical, ongoing help, then we must confess by faith also the ugly reality of my sin. The help we so desperately need and want in our difficult personal circumstances, whatever they may be, comes when in faith I make that my confession first. Let's try and make this real. Because, and please think this through with me, isn't it so, congregation, that when we are so preoccupied by everything that's going on in our lives, when we're so overwhelmed by our circumstances or those of a loved one, isn't it then that we're often most vulnerable to the attacks of the evil one? Isn't it true that when our emotional fuse is about to blow out, that we're often not in a position to recognize temptation when it's staring us in the face? I think you know what I mean. Isn't it then when we're down that the devil in cohorts with their own weaknesses will make us doubt, for example, God's goodness, his grace? Isn't it at a time of stress that my sinful tendency, for example, to impatience makes itself known? Isn't it when I'm down for the count of 10 that I tend to fire my angry questions at God? Why? And why now? And and why me? You see, at times like that too, indeed in all of life, answer 60 says that my conscience still accuses me that we have sinned against God's commandments. We don't keep any of them. We're still inclined to evil. As hard as it might be, it means that in faith, I am very deliberate about confessing my sin in the very same prayer in which I lay my many needs before my gracious Father. A confession of very real sin then comes alongside a very real and urgent petition to help at the bedside in a hospital. A confession of my wretchedness makes up then part of the same prayer as my prayer for a rescue from anxiety and depression. A confession of my inclination to evil is part then of my desperate prayer for help in my marriage, for example. And you hear that congregation again, we might think that's, is that even appropriate? We might want to object again, isn't there a time and a place for everything? To borrow a way of speaking from the author of the preacher of Ecclesiastes, there's a time to petition God for help and a time to petition God for forgiveness. And surely, we might say, those two don't have to happen at the same time, do they? The congregation, Scripture speaks a different language. Take Psalm 69 as an example. And David is in deep trouble in Psalm 69. 
Let me read with you verse 1 through 4, Psalm 69. There David says this, Save me, O God. Listen to the, the emotional agony here, the pain he's in. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. It's as if he's sinking in quicksand here. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I'm weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Do you hear something, congregation, here of the agony that David's wrestling with? You get the picture. David in this psalm is in a, in a very, very dark place. So desperate is this situation that we immediately sympathize with him. And we might even want to say, there's no need to talk about your sin right now, David. Your plate is obviously very, very full. But what does David do? Look at verse 5. O oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. What does David know? He knows that irrespective of all of his other problems and challenges, there is one problem that he must consistently address if he's going to be able to expect his God to help him with those other problems and challenges. To put it this way, brothers and sisters, what is most basic? We saw that this morning too. What is most fundamental to knowing that our God is there for us, yes, as indeed our loving Father, in our most difficult circumstances? What is it that we most fundamentally have to know? Isn't it this congregation? That he is our God, that he is our Father. See, that's what we need to know. And he is that, listen now, he is that I know only when I am righteous before him. He's only my God. I can only call him my Abba Father when I am right with him. When my, yes, my sins, my terrible, my horrible sins are not in the way anymore. Are not between him and me anymore. You see, congregation, awareness of and confession of sin then is integral to faith. To put it in the language of this Lord's Day. It only helps me that I believe what I confess in the Apostles' Creed when I accept by faith that yes, I am a sinner, and that sinners like me are in need of grace. Grace for every circumstance of life. When by faith and the working of the Spirit in me, I come to terms with that, then I may also experience wholeheartedly the amazing extent of God's grace for all of life. We see that in our second point. And it's true, congregation, going back now to Psalm 103, the extent of God's grace truly is miraculous. It's amazing. It's, you might say, fantastic. It's beautiful. It's delightful. David in Psalm 103, he tastes this amazing grace of God and he just loves it like we do. Verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. You can hear David bursting forth here in praise of God. And we recognize that the same David who wrote Psalm 69, which we just looked at briefly, wrote this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And then in verse 2 of this psalm, in verse 3, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then look what he writes, Who forgives all your iniquities. 
Oh, David knows it, congregation. He knows it. See, that's basic. That's fundamental. That's first, that my sins are forgiven. This is so important. I've got to be right with God. And he comes back to this important theme. Verse 7, he casts his eyes backward in history. Verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. David is here thinking about the rescue of God's people from Egypt. He's recalling the desert wanderings. That time was a time that was often difficult and hard and very messy, you might say, for God's people. But also a time littered with more than enough examples of their sinfulness. More than once, God had every reason to be, to, to be done with his people. You might remember, boys and girls, he even said that to Moses once. Remember that? When was that? That was at the time of the golden calf, Exodus 32. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. But what does David do in Psalm 103 verse 8? The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. David is here quoting just a couple of chapters later, Exodus 34. See, the very same God, understand this congregation, the very same God who said, I'm done with these people, displays the amazing extent of his grace. Verse 8, eight again, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. And congregation, really, we should read on in Psalm 103, verse 9. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Do you see, congregation, what we are entitled to embrace by faith here? As I am, so are we all sinners. And yes, that sin does have a tendency to show itself all the more obviously and grotesquely when we're going through something difficult. By faith, we confess that's the truth. But then by faith, too, we embrace the amazing extent of God's grace. This psalm says it, David says it so beautifully, he will not always chide. His anger rightly directed at me, he doesn't keep it forever. And praise him, he does not deal with me according to what my sins deserve. Once more, praise him, he does not repay me according to my iniquity. Instead, what does he do? Well, David knows it. And congregation, we're allowed to embrace it by faith. Listen to verse 12 of this psalm. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. We're so used to hearing this psalm, aren't we? That this metaphor and the absolute craziness of it doesn't strike us anymore, does it? The distance between east and west, that's an infinite distance. You can't measure that distance. And when you think about it for a moment, we get that. Well, that's how far. That's the amazing extent of God's grace. He creates an infinite distance between me and my sin. What a gift that is. And how did he do that? Answer 60. We read it. Wonderfully summarizes what Scripture teaches us on this point. Without any merit of mine, out of mere grace, he credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of my Savior. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters. 
Christ, my Savior, took on himself what I deserve. Instead of my God dealing with me according to my sins, he dealt with my Savior according to my sins. In order to create that infinite distance between my sins and I, he pressed my sins on his Son. It's my sins we need to confess, which made the death of my Savior necessary. He, my Savior, willingly, in love, congregation, talk about amazing grace, took on himself the punishment rightfully directed at me. I'm the one who's grievously sinned against all of God's commandments. Not my Savior. I'm the one who's never, ever kept any one of those commandments perfectly. Not him. I'm the one who's still inclined to evil in my life, not him. Yet he took it upon himself. Again, talk about grace. And how extensive is this grace? Well, this answer 60 goes on. He grants those to me. He gives them to me as if I never had sinned or been a sinner. And as if I myself had lived that perfect life. We hear that congregation in the, the words of Psalm 103 is starting to make some sense. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. It means they're, they're gone, they're infinitely removed from me. And now, and now, in God's eyes, I'm righteous. It's as if I'd never sinned or been a sinner, not even once. So far removed are my sins. It's as if they've been thrown towards the east or towards the west by the mighty hand of God, passed through the earth's atmosphere, disappeared into infinite space, never to be seen of or heard of again. Perhaps you know the hymn, it's a well-known one. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. What a grace. What an amazing grace. What compassion God has for you. Verse 13 of this psalm. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And what a blessing. What a privilege. What a blessing of infinite value to be able to Simply embrace this grace in faith. But let's pause. And now that we've tasted just a little of the extent of God's grace, let's then take a moment to begin to answer the question, how does it help you that you believe all this? And with that, we come to our final and third point. Because here we are, congregation. We've maybe even briefly forgotten the current circumstances of life while we together bask just briefly in the amazing extent of God's grace. But now that we take a breath and pause, all of life's circumstances can just come rushing back into our field of vision. And so we ask ourselves, does what I confess about God's amazing grace, does it really help? Does it? And if so, how? And of course, we know the answer. It does help, brothers and sisters. Of course it does. 
Because when we, the last part of Answer 60, accept this grace with a heart of faith, then it means this. It means then that there is then nothing anymore between my God and me. It means that I am righteous before Him. It means that this God is my Father. It means that, yes, like verse 15 of Psalm 103, my days too are like grass. They're here today, gone tomorrow. It means that, yes, my frame too, verse 14, is just dust really, and don't I know it, weak, fragile, and oh so prone to the results of sin. It means that, yes, my days may be filled with trouble more than I can bear at times. To try and illustrate, do you happen to know the story of Horatio Spafford and his wife Anna? Do you know that story? It goes back to the 1800s. They were a Christian family from Chicago. They were a wealthy family, Horatio being a lawyer and a property owner. But despite that, like the Old Testament Job, whom we know well, they too knew personal tragedy on a huge scale. In 1870, they lost their four-year-old son to scarlet fever. And a year later, just after losing their son, a lot of their wealth was wiped out by a fire that destroyed much of downtown Chicago and along with it, many of Horatio's properties. But despite their personal loss, they helped other victims of the fire. And after those traumatic years, everything that had happened, Horatio decided to take his family on a holiday to Europe. Delayed by business, Horatio sent his wife and his four remaining children, all daughters, ages 2 through 11. He sent them ahead of him. He planned to join them soon afterwards. As Anna's and the girl's steamship crossed the Atlantic, it was, it was struck by an iron sailing ship there in the middle of the Atlantic on the night of the 22nd of November, 1873. In that tragic accident, 226 people lost their lives, including all four of Horatio's and Anna's daughters. Miraculously, Anna survived, having been rescued after being found floating unconscious on a wooden board. After finally arriving in Cardiff, South Wales, Anna sends a telegram to Horatio, her, her husband, back in America, which simply said in part, saved alone. Do you see how that illustrates how our days can be filled with trouble, indeed more than we can handle at times? Oh, then yes, to accept this gift with a believing heart also means that I have a God who is my compassionate Father. My life is fleeting and broken and disjointed and troubled, but verse 17 of Psalm 103, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children. His steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting. Then whatever the situation is, I believe that, I embrace that. 
I have a father whose steadfast love for me never ever runs out, is from everlasting to everlasting, yes, is always sufficient, it's always more than enough. Then yes, I can sing despite life's circumstances. Verse 1 of the psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. I can sing that then. Because above all else, I know that it is well with my soul. Do you know what Horatio did? After receiving his wife's telegram, saved alone. He did, husbands, what any one of us who are husbands would do. He immediately got on the next ship and set sail to go to be with her there in England. He needed, of course, to be by her side. And one day, as they made their way painfully, slowly across the Atlantic, the captain of the ship called Horatio up on deck and told him, Horatio, this is where your wife's ship went down. This is where your four girls drowned in that moment Horatio pulled out his notebook and penned the words of a song and if you don't already know which song I'm referring to you'll recognize it but I want you to listen this afternoon very carefully to the words and listen very carefully to Horatio's sequence of thoughts stanza one when peace like a river attendeth by way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul oh Horatio he knew the pain of life when sorrows like sea billows roll he knew exactly what he was writing first his son then the wipe out of much of his wealth and then his four daughters but listen to the second stanza and listen to his beautiful train of thought. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. The third stanza, do you see where he's going? Despite life's tragic circumstances, there is one truth to hold on to above all others. Stanza three, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. And congregation, I'm sure you know the beautiful refrain. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. You see, congregation, life can be difficult. Life can be tragic even at times. But in those moments and through those times, there is one thing that matters above all else, this, that my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross so that I can sing, it is well with my soul. 
and you want to know now, how does that help? How does that really help in those times of trial? Well, congregation, if it's well with your soul, if your sins are paid for, how are you then, think this through with me, how are you then blessed to address the one who sits on heaven's throne? We go back to Psalm 103. Consider verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Does that help? That the Lord is the one, that this God who rules over all, that you can call him now your father. That helps. Because it means this. The one who is my father because of Christ. Precisely because in Christ it is well with my soul. Yes, now I know I have a father who sits on a throne, a throne that's in the heavens. The throne from which he perfectly and lovingly rules over all. And yes, that all then includes all the messy pieces of our lives. So let's take a moment to go to the hospital ward. Or let's take a moment to imagine we're having a conversation with a brother or a sister who's going through something very difficult and awful and challenging. Well, let's take a moment to listen in maybe on a conversation between a husband and a wife who desperately would love to have children, but God hasn't granted them that blessing. In that hospital ward or during that conversation, how does it help you now that you believe all that we confess in the Apostles' Creed? How practically is that confession of benefit? Is it going to grant instant healing? No. Is it going to give you the perfect words to speak in that conversation with that brother or that sister? No. Is it going to grant life in the womb to the brother or the sister so wrestling with infertility? No. So how is it going to help? Well, congregation, the answer is right here in answer 59. That I'm righteous in Christ before God and an heir to life everlasting. The answer is this. In Christ, I'm right with God. And if I'm right with God, then he is my father. And if he's my father, then his steadfast love is mine by faith. And if I, by faith, know that steadfast love as mine, then I know that my father's steadfast love determines his perfect, wise, and loving rule in my life. Even if that rule means tragedy and loss or vast amounts of pain. Does it help? By grace it does, beloved. Because then I can truly rest in his care. His perfect care. Because I am righteous before God and an heir to life eternal.
And it is for us to sing along with David, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Amen.